Welcome back to STEM Fatal, your Women in Science History podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Emlyn Gremlin. And I'm your other co-host, Dr. Emma Dilemma. And we're back in the new year for part two. I, you know, we're just spreading Annie Waneka across two years. <laughs> that's, that's how much we have to talk about her. So yeah, I guess I forgot this is our first up of 2022. <laughs> yeah. 2022, looking so good. The same as the <laughs> last year. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, okay. Well, let's, before we go down an existential crisis, let's just get yeah, get right, into the right. story. So, yeah. if you haven't listened to our first part of the Annie Dodge-Weneca episode, go back. It was... Yeah, At the end that. of November, go back and listen to that, because I'm not doing a recap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you should just... We'll do, like, a little okay, recap. Okay, okay. Where do we leave off? Just I, where do we leave off? That's a really good question. <laughs> so we left off with Annie um, in her fight against tuberculosis on the Navajo Reservation, and... Yeah. I think at this point she had won the Presidential Medal of Freedom and had gone and gotten that in D.C. Yeah, I remember the tuberculosis part. I don't know if I remember the D.C. part, but it's always tough at the end. Yeah. You know, there's always, like, a lot. There was a lot that happened, too, in her life. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the year is night. 1963 is roughly where we left off. Cool. Okay. So that's kind of the backstory. All right. So after, I'm just going to hop in. So after seven years of fighting tuberculosis on the reservation, there was still a large problem with tuberculosis patients leaving the hospitals um, and their treatment and remaining infectious at home. So they hadn't cleared the whole infections before they'd leave. Right. And at this point, having tried pretty much everything Annie could think of, she decided that in order to keep tuberculosis from continuing to spread, she would need to convince the tribal council that involuntary commitment was necessary. Wow. Uh-oh. So Annie, for you know these previous seven years, had avoided this option since the Navajo um, were really against coercion in any way, like coercing people to do anything. Yeah, reason. I mean, reasonable <laughs> yeah. in most respects, at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, in in this sense, uh, you could probably draw some parallels to the situation now. That your choice to not complete your treatment was also harming everybody else by continuing the spread of TB. Right. So there's this societal yeah. trade-off with the individual personal freedoms trade-off. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So she brought this motion to a vote, and after, you know, a full day of arguing at the tribal council, the motion was passed, uh, paving the way for involuntary confinement. Wow. So this would be, like, 
you have to stay like quarantined basically if you're sick. Yeah, I think often it was you know, you would get treated at a hospital or at some other facility. They they had some on the reservation, some off, and you had to stay until your TB was treated or you were no longer wow. infectious. Right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So another issue that Annie tackled headfirst was the issue of translating English medical terms into Navajo. So essentially many of the terms in modern medicine had like no equivalence in the Navajo language. And so oh. translators had to pretty much like interpret as best they could based on their understanding of the medical procedure. But there was wow. really no way to like accurately translate. That's it. Yeah. I guess if like you don't, have the same technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like science in general, right? Yeah. Like, it's just hard to translate if, because new things are created. It's like a whole new concept. Yeah. Exactly. That's, so to illustrate yeah, how this could go really terribly wrong, a doctor was trying to explain to one of um, their Navajo patients that had thyroid cancer that they were going to need to do surgery Um to do surgery to fix that. And the interpreter told the patient okay. that the doctor was going to slit their throat, <gasps> which caused the patient to run screaming from the room. Yeah. Understandably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So to deal with <laughs> this issue. of like slice. Yes. Yeah. Surgery. Yeah. Yeah. So to deal that with this issue, be. Annie spearheaded a medical Seriously. English to Navajo dictionary where she worked with doctors wow. for over several years and invented new Navajo words where there was no equivalent so that people could directly translate. And you didn't have to rely on the translator um, to have like really deep medical knowledge mm -hmm. in order to try to do some of these translations. So, okay, yeah. So in the dictionary, I guess it would then just use current Navajo words to, like, describe what the new Navajo word meant. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, around this time, on June 1st, 1959, Annie's half-brother, who, um, you know, who was raised as her brother because of that whole right. situation, um, was... Mother, aunt. Yes, yeah. exactly. Switcheroo. Yeah. Well... <laughs> If you haven't listened to the first episode, you're going to be really <laughs> like, what's happening? It's like a parent's yeah. law. Um, well, he was found dead near the train tracks in Gallup. So that's one of the towns. Oh. Uh, sorry, we went from like comedy to like very serious really quickly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he'd been beaten around the face and head. Oh, and oh, horrible. Ben had had a problem. So her half brother, Ben, had had a problem with alcohol and had just been released from jail after nine days of being in there for drunkenness. Oh, boy. so he had just gotten out. It appears that he had gotten out of jail, gone straight back to drinking, fell in with the wrong crowd and had been in a fight and like beaten to death. Wow, that's sad. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, and so like this was kind of an instigating this was an instigating event, which caused her to kind of transition to being really focused on the effects of alcohol on the Navajo reservation. Oh, okay. Wow. 
So after a few months since this terrible event, the Navajo Tribal Council created a committee to deal with the problem of alcoholism on the reservation and made Annie the new chair. Or like, yeah, chair of the new committee. And so just as she had done with tuberculosis, where she was really, really systematic in trying to understand what was going on, Annie went to talk to the U.S. government. She talked to doctors and the Navajo people themselves to understand how big a problem alcoholism was on the reservation and to try to pick out root causes that she could focus on. Wow. And alcohol was- She just took on everything. She took on everything related to health. Like, seriously. Yeah. Everything. Um, so alcohol, yeah. af- after doing this, al- she realized alcohol was a really huge problem on the reservation and 80% of arrests oh. on the reservation were alcohol related. And that's interesting from her. I think this is based on pretty much going around surveying people. She determined that about 60% of Navajos were drinking alcohol before breakfast. <gasps> oh boy. So like. Really showing like it was a an addiction. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now the root causes of the alcohol problem were varied, including that many felt hopeless on the reservation. There were little job prospects. There was less education. Uh, people had families to support and didn't know how to be able to do that. Um, it also was the was true that alcohol used to be really expensive, and so out. Al- uh, and so only the wealthy could afford it. And so drinking alcohol had this kind of connotation of wealth that also made oh. it desirable. Huh. So not yeah, only are you kind of avoiding that. your problems, yeah. feeling a little helpless, right. but there's also this connotation of like doing okay if you've got alcohol. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, she was working working on this bu- at this time. Then in the fall of 1959, Annie received the Indian Council Fire Achievement Award for her work on tuberculosis by the Indian Council Fire, an organization of Native Americans from many different tribes, not just the Navajo. She was also named Arizona Women of the Year by the Arizona Press Women's Club, the first Indian to receive such an award. Um, And because of Annie's position and outspokenness, she had become part of pretty much like mainstream American life in a way that few other oh, Native wow. Americans had at that time. Okay. Uh, oh, oh, I lied. Oh, my goodness. I lied. Okay. I, I gave away uh, the punchline. So on July 1st, 1963, Annie received a telegraph from President John F. Kennedy from Washington, D.C. that said, oh. <laughs> quote, I am happy to inform you of my intention to award you the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This is the highest civic honor conferred by the President of the United States for service in peacetime. So she I hadn't received that yet. That I, <laughs> no yeah, wonder you didn't remember I, it. I was like, oh, I must have just forgotten. <laughs> like, I was like confident I had forgotten. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I spoiled it. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So this is just such a a, a high um, a high honor, and so Annie an- anxiously yeah. waited for details about the ceremony that, so that she could make plans to journey to DC. However, the dates of the ceremony kept getting pushed back from September to November, oh. and then finally to December sixth. And so she kept kind of just waiting for it. 
Then on November yeah. 22nd, two weeks before the ceremony, President jo- President Kennedy was shot in <laughs> Dallas. Ooh, right. Uh, however, the ceremony still went ahead on December 6th, but it was, you know, much a much more somber event than it would have been otherwise. Yeah. And instead of being led by President Kennedy, it was led by the new president, Lyndon B. Johnson. Right. Okay. And Annie oh, had... Oh, what a time. I know, I know. And Annie had planned to bring a pair of moccasins to give to President Kennedy, um, but left those at home and brought a beaded bolo tie for Lyndon B. Johnson instead. Oh, because, uh, you know, Texas man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know if they have the same shoe size. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if she had, like, specific for his whatever. Probably. <laughs> yeah. And so previously Life Magazine uh, had planned on running a story about her and her work on the reservation and how she was getting this Presidential Medal of Freedom Award, but they decided that it was too linked to the assassination and the tragedy, and so dropped it. Oh. I know. That's a shame. But, you know, different times. Yeah. Don't know what the vibe was. It was probably not great. The vibe was bad. Yeah, I like, would imagine so. I'm pretty sure everything went from hopeful to like absolutely hopeless yeah when kennedy died yeah Yeah. like people were everyone was devastated i'm pretty sure so annie when she arrived at washington for the presidential medal of freedom award um they gave her this award and it read the following a vigorous crusader for the betterment and health of her people mrs waneka has selflessly worked to help them conquer tuberculosis, dysentery, and trachoma. She succeeded in these efforts by winning the confidence of her people and then by interpreting to them the miracles of modern medicine. Wow. That's a big job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's already done, like, so much, and I have six pages of stuff to read, so... <laughs> <laughs> she I did a lot. I can't imagine just creating, like, a whole dictionary. Like, creating new words. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's As, wild. like, you're not... A, like, your job isn't a linguist. It's just like, okay, well, I gotta do, make this dictionary right. in order to, like, get to my real goal, which is... Right. <laughs> You know, helping my people get medicine and also, like, feel yeah. confident and safe about doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after the ceremony, she returned to Window Rock and she met with the tribal council and told them about her travels. And she told them of her honor, uh, that her honor was an honor to them all, including the tribal council, her constituents, and the Navajo people. And she was really good at balancing between cultures because she understood that the Navajo were against individuals gaining too much attention, but she also knew that somebody needed to be a spokesperson to like the Mm. larger society. And so like balancing that Mm. was kind of a tricky thing because she was getting a lot of fame at this period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now we get into some like tribal, tribal council drama. Oh, so there's a lot of po- so the next years were fraught with po- uh, like politics and division among the tribal council. Um, oh, okay. I'm not gonna get too too deep into it because it's like three chapters and I like I just can't. But 
Yeah, you don't have to retell the whole exactly. Book, you if know. you we we can, I'll yeah. I'll link to the book if you want to know more details. But essentially, the issue yeah. surrounded the tribal council's lawyer Norman Little. Um, so he had been oh. the Navajo lawyer since her father Dodge Chi had been on the council, and Annie supported him completely. Mm-hmm. So she was like fully supportive of the tribal council's lawyer. On the other hand, the okay. new councilman Raymond uh, Nakai along with the new Secretary of the Interior, were opposed to Little and wanted a new lawyer. So essentially, like, the new people in charge oh. wanted to swap him out. That's um, interesting. And so Ud- Udall, who's the Secretary of the Interior, and um, Raymond Nakai, the new councilman, tried to remove Little, and this, like, ensuing battle erupted with Annie and some of the old guard trying to keep him around. Wow. And Annie even sent a letter to the ranch of President Johnson asking for Udall, the new Secretary of the Interior, to be removed from his post. Oh, wow. So just like okay. went, went straight for the source. Um, yeah. And eventually a judge decri- decreed that Little could be removed from his post. And so was. And Annie was extremely outspoken and vehement about this point. Um, and had made some enemies on- along the way, including some of the Navajo people wow. who felt that she had bred like division because she was she's really an outspoken person and is very yeah. opinionated. And so like really went to bat for this guy. And so she also some of the Navajo felt that she was like too strong spoken about it and was breeding division. Oh, my gosh. But it's like, how is she supposed to get things done if she's not outspoken? Yes. Like, you know. She's getting a lot done, but it's not like, you know, she's a little bit out of, like, the cultural norms. Yeah. Um, Nevertheless, even though, you know, she she maybe lost some support, she still was able to be reelected and retained her seat. So. Okay. Okay. Um, So at this point, she was asked by the town she lived in or that she represented to move into like the into town into the old principal's house. And mm. so that, that she could be like more part of the community versus living out in the, at the ranch. Okay. And so Annie agreed and moved in with her handicapped daughter, uh, Sally. So that's one of, one of her like nine children. Oh, right. I forgot she had a, Billion she children. has a billion children. So th- how? <laughs> th- so this meant she left her husband George to attend to the rest of the children, including two oh, or three disabled right. sons, back husband. at the ranch. Okay. Oh my gosh. Wow. And generally, as Annie gained like more fame and attention, most newspapers listed her as having only five or six kids. Rather than the nine she truly had. Only. Yeah. <laughs> but the reason for this is yeah, that like only five in. Like Navajo culture, they believed that handicapped children, at least at the time, they believed that handicapped children were the result of the mother breaking some type of taboo. And so, oh. like, huh. advertising the fact that she had three disabled children, she just wanted to, like, avoid accusations and questions about, oh, like, her okay. breaking. She, like, she must have broken taboos in order for, like, she to have multiple. Wow. Versus the reality is that she had really traumatic childbirth that probably explains yeah yeah multiple of those disabilities Ugh. yeah 
<sighs> but yeah, so George has like his hands, like has his work cut cut out for him. He's got. Yeah, he's taking care of like eight children. Of... Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um. <sighs> okay. So during this time, while she's now living in town, essentially with one of her daughters, mm-hmm. Annie's work becomes more centered around the youth. So at a town hall in Flagstaff, Arizona, Robert Kennedy, so as a senator, so the brother, right? right? Brother? No. Yeah. Brother, yeah. Um, spoke about Indian education. And then he realized, while he was talking about this, he realized that Annie was in the audience. And so he was like, Annie, tell me, I want to know your opinions about edu- like how we're educating the Navajos. Oh, um, and so she stayed. just like called on Annie. Yeah, exactly. Like she was like well known. And so yeah, yeah. Um, she stated that students should be educated in day schools in their community rather than being sent to boarding schools elsewhere. And she like had gave this like yeah. big fiery statement about like what should be done. Um, right. And was very impressive in like her strong opinions. Um, wow. This w- and this was m- just months before Robert Kennedy was then shot. So right, uh, it's yeah. not great times. Yeah, the Kennedys. Kennedys are cursed. I, I can't, uh, yeah, you can't even get into the curse. No, it's very upsetting <laughs> of the Kennedys. <laughs> so Annie, you know, continued to work for the youth. She also advocated for Head Start on the reservation, like you know the Head Start right, programs. Okay, and so these programs yeah. helped students transition from that traditional like Hogan life to a modern school. So it was that it was nice to help yeah. them transition and also became a feature of the community with a lot of local community and families running these programs. So everybody was involved in trying oh, to good. educate the youth yeah. um, and making them kind of ready to go into a little bit more white society or, you know, whatever schools that they were going to end up in. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah. And then Annie got the council to devote. $350,000. So wh- essentially, bef- they realized that before the students were going off to their like modern schools for like high school and middle school, a lot of the students didn't have enough money for clothes to go do that. And so students were going to not oh be able gosh. to go to school because they didn't have enough money for those clothes. And Ugh. so she helped um, raise $350,000 from the council to pay for the cost of clothing for these students so that ever so that wasn't like a barrier to getting an education yeah are these uniforms i guess i don't even like think required? they were uniforms i think they were just like enough clothing to go i'm not yeah i didn't give like more details oh. i don't think it was uniforms yeah. i think it was okay. just like maybe cuz i think at this time it was still a lot of the schools were like um, not day schools, but like boarding schools. So you need to have like a certain amount of clothes. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. And maybe you, there was some rules mm-hmm. about like what you were allowed to wear or yeah. something. Like you had to have a certain number of pants or shirt, you know, yeah. yeah, a certain kind of pants, even if it's not like a uniform mm-hmm. uniform. A oh. lot of schools have like rules. Dress codes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So she was not only concerned about the youth, but also about the babies. You know, we're getting everybody. 
Oh, wow. You can't avoid. Babies aren't youths. No. Well, I think the youth is like middle high schoolers. I don't know why I think that. Oh, okay. (laughs) But these are the babes. I just think of any, all you, yeah, okay. Babes are not. Yeah, okay. The super youth. I'll take it. I'll accept it. Super youth. The super youth. So she developed this baby contest held every summer. What? What? Exactly. But it's actually kind of brilliant. So essentially, it was a really popular event. um, And it brought in lots of babies and their mothers. And, you know, as part of the contest, (laughs) you know, mothers would bring in their babies and they would be, it's kind of like a beauty contest, but more so just a like healthy baby, cute contest. I like I was I like the idea of like it just brought in the babies like the babies themselves were like <laughs> I'm gonna go to this like I'm gonna I'm, compete I'm a cute baby um I got this yeah but yeah so it was really popular so a lot of people came to the event and then also a lot of people participated mm-hmm. in the event and as part of the contest doctors nice. looked over the babies to check for their for any health problems. Oh, okay. And so for many babies, this was the only time that they'd be looked at by a health professional, like at all. Wow, okay. And at this time, Navajo Navajo uh, had twice the infant mortality as white infants. <gasps> Ooh, boy. So this was a measure of like, That's especially um, for families that really didn't have enough money they might go to this contest to try to get you know to like compete in the contest to get some money or some diapers like whatever the prizes were and by doing so they also got this like free doctor's checkup yeah that's great yeah and so for just participating people yeah yeah and so for just participating they got this full uh like baby health checkup also got diapers baby clothes things like that she really was like th- oh. thought outside the box for how to get. Yeah, I feel like she- yeah, she's very inventive yes. about increasing like engagement and kind of like preventative medicine yes. in a way, or even treatment too. Yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, she was also a DJ where she like had a radio show where she talked about health problems in Navajo. And then she also had, like, helped produce, like, short films because the Navajo really liked film. And so they would have, like, short PSA films before movies about, like, tuberculosis and stuff like that. So she used all media, all forms of media. (laughs) All media. All right. Um, so she was doing some great work, but there was, you know, more and more drama pretty much just kept happening. Oh, good. (laughs) So a new government funded program called the DNA, uh, was started to help low income Navajos with their like off reservation legal problems. So to help them fund and get lawyers, essentially. Uh, and this program was led by Ted Mitchell, who was a Harvard educated white man, who had worked on the reservation for a small legal aid program previously, so he was known in the community. 
But in essentially, this program was different from previous programs in that to retain attorney-client privilege, the program did not get any funds from the tribal council. It was like, okay, we can't get funds from you because we need to oh. be separate so that we have, you know, right. privileges and we don't owe you any information that we're actually like yeah. – Support like our first priorities are the clients. Yeah, that makes sense. However, it be controlled by like a certain funder. Yep. So, however, this led to tensions with the tribal council and with Annie Waneka in particular. Oh. So, when one of the school boards got sued for discrimination against two Navajo students. The school board chairman, who is a friend of Annie's, he asked Annie to step in and kick Ted off of the reservation. Oh my gosh. And so Annie did this. Off of it? Yeah, just like, well, you could kick white people off the reservation. Oh, oh, oh. I didn't realize. Okay. Um, And so Annie led led the advisory committee to fire Ted from his job and remove him from the reservation. Okay. However, since this program was not funded by the tribal council, Ted was like, you can't fire me and just stayed. So he was like technically supposed to leave, but he was like, you're not paying me and I'm not going to leave. I'm going to keep doing my job. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, And part of this, the reason why they felt that they could kick him off the reservation was that the Treaty of 1868 gave the Navajo the power to remove any non-Indian from the reservation. Oh, okay. However, this becomes muddied and in a second. So Hmm. the real trouble comes in because of the 1968 Civil Rights Act. And you, you might be like, well, oh, but why? Okay. Um, here's the reason. So in the 1968 Civil Rights Act, the following paragraph occurs. It says, no Indian tribe exercising the right of self-government shall deny any person due process of law. Okay. So it made it unclear whether or not the tribal council could just remove any non-Indian such as Ted from the reservation or that it needed Ted now was able to have like legal defense and they actually had to have a legal, like he had the legal right to be there and they had to go through like a legal process to remove him versus just removing him. Uh, You know what I mean? I see. There's yeah. Kind of competing laws. essentially. Yeah. So, Hmm. That So Annie made it clear that she was really concerned about the implications of this new rule. Yeah. But she stated that she had no one in mind that she was trying to kick off the reservation. Hmm. At which point, Ted, okay. who was in the back of the room, made a, lo- a, lo- a, made a loud, like, guffawing sound. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, and Annie was enraged. By this, uh huh. By what she considered to be, quote, the silliest, dirtiest laugh. Wow. Okay. 
So the next day, the council came back together and discussed the same issue. And when Annie passed Ted and saw that he was smiling in the back of the room when they were discussing, like, who they could or could not remove, uh, she wrapped her hand around a penknife and hit him on the side of the face and head. (gasps) With a knife? Well... Like, with a penknife in her hand as, like, support, but not, like, not stabbing him. Okay. So she hit him, but she didn't stab him. She didn't stab him. She She just hit him. Like, she had, she held it in her hand and smacked him. Oh, like, so it's like a folding knife, sort of. So the knife, the blade isn't necessarily, like, out. Yeah, the blade, I think, was in. I think there's no blade action. (laughs) Okay. I was like, how do you avoid either cutting your hand yes. or cutting the person? Like, yeah, okay, I get it. It's all, yeah, it's like a folding. doesn't have to have blade out. Okay. Yes, yeah. I see. Yeah. Interesting. It's like a it's still not knife. good. It's still I'm not good. Like, what is the severity of this? <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what the huh, severity okay. was. I don't think he ended up in the hospital or anything, but I'm sure he was shocked. Um, luckily for Annie, yeah, she wasn't charged still, with battery uh, or anything. Yeah. But the incident was definitely wow. the talk of this the town. This is the violence. Yes. This, this is the violence, the violence I mentioned you, were, earlier. you told me was on its way. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Annie, wow. This isn't the first time we've had a violent... Um, no. Like, uh, per- lady that we talk about. Yes. Right? Yeah. You know, no one's perfect. This was like yeah. a, a short... It's not good. No, I'm not going to say it's good, but something. Yes, she'd reached the end of her fuse. Yes, I guess. yes, um, yeah. So, but many people were on Ted's side about this. Well, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, uh, it's hard not to be at least in this one instance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the Navajo University students staged a they staged a protest. And even allies of Annie, such as John Dodge, who's a relative of Annie's, and Dr. uh, Taylor McKenzie, who's the only Navajo doctor, also supported Ted and were against the exclusion of Ted from the reservation. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So this, while this incident remained in, like, the memories and legacy of Annie Waneka, she continued on and this did not deter her. Or her career. Okay. All right. That's so good, at least. We're, we're a lot. It's just, just problem solving and trouble and disagreements from like here on out. Yeah. Okay. Just a lot of personnel management, like personal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So in 1962, the Healing versus Jones case, which was a case that determined that Hopi and Navajo could should share the land given back to them as part of the 1882 Executive Order Reservation Land. So essentially, they got this land, but it was it was in dispute whether or not it was Hopi land or the Navajo oh, that they'd given back okay. to them. Yeah, and so. In 1972, a bill was introduced. And so, like, this has been, like, a long-time dispute, essentially. Yeah, I'm sure. 
Um, and yeah. so a bill was introduced by Arizona Republican representative that called for the immediate partitioning of this like joint use area, this area that was under dispute. Um, it also called for the culling of Navajo herds and the removal of Navajos from that area within five years. Whoa. And essentially why they try, were trying to get this bill passed was because of two things. One, there was a U.S. energy shortage. And two, they believed that this joint use area contained vast amounts of resources. So they're like, well, if you can't figure out who it belongs to, and this seems to be just like a disputed area, then we're just going to divide it just so that we can then orchestrate some like oil deals. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Ugh, that's horrible. So instead of just giving both nations like, the land that they deserve and originally owned, probably. Yeah, I think I don't remember what the exact on. detail is. I think both of them. I, yeah, I'm not sure. One of them or both of them did originally live on it, and then potentially they were get it gave to the other one, and so who originally had it versus who was yeah. de- given it later back. I'm not. I'm not positive. The details of the dispute. Yeah. But so essentially, um, after this bill was like put forth, the tribal council chairman, uh, Peter McDonald, flew down with other leaders, including Annie Waneka, down to Washington, D.C. to fight this bill. Right. And because of Annie's renown in D.C., she was given unlimited time on the floor to talk. Everybody else got five minutes, but Annie could just like, they were just like, Annie, you tell us, tell us about it. Right. Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to read some of what she said. Yeah. There has been nothing like this bill since the communist overran Eastern Europe. A whole area in the United States of America is to be cleared of its population in order to be resettled by people of another language. This bill is unbelievable. The Indian Removal Act of 1972. It's a divide and conquer bill. Of course, it is also a white lawyer's bill. The Indians are to be driven out into the desert while the lawyers are guaranteed job security by provisions in sections 15 and 16 for at least three monster lawsuits. I say, let us Indians work this problem out ourselves without lawyers or legislation. This bill is a perfect example of a white man's solution to the Indian problem. You wonder why the problem never gets solved. It's because every white man is an expert on Indian problems with nobody listening to the Indians. Now, please tear up this stupid bill and listen to an Indian. We Indians are poor because we don't have enough land. You white people took too much from us. You took so much, you have to pay farmers not to grow crops on it. So why not give some of it back to us? Why pit Navajos and Hopis against each other to fight over their respective shares of poverty? Why not share a small part of your excessive land with us? I know it is said that Indians have adequate land or... I know it is said that letting Indians have adequate land retards their assimilation. We should be forced into the melting pot with and so forth. You can swallow this rubbish only if you sincerely believe it is better to have an Indian on welfare in a slum, a city slum than out in the country making his own living. We Indians know how to make our living off the land. Don't waste money trying to force us to do something else we don't want when we already have this skill. Wow. So, yeah, that's like a short snippet of what she said. Yeah. Wow. But she's like very forceful. She was not afraid to like tell it like it is. And she was also like yeah, also good. diplomatic enough to be like really well respected by everybody. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Best of both worlds. Yeah. Okay. Though I'm sure she also, I mean, we've seen she also ruffled some feathers. Oh, yes. Yeah. She didn't get along with everybody all the time. women. Yeah. Always have enemies. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And I don't think she was always in the right. But. Yeah. True. We don't always have to be in the right. Yeah. Doing the best we can. Um, Okay. So after this, Annie returned to Washington, D.C. and asked the mental health branch of public health services. So essentially they said like, oh, that's nice, but we need, you know, like not everybody's convinced. So she asked the mental health branch of public health services to study the psychological effects of forced removal. Oh, okay. So then that's really interesting. So she then returned to Washington. So she literally had to be like, I need data to show you how bad this is. Yes. Like they just wouldn't believe that forced is bad. Forced removal (laughs) is not a great thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, just think about it. <laughs> Do you want to be Would forcibly like removed? It? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she returned to wow. Washington and presented her findings that relocation would increase depression, suicide attempts, and organized crime of those relocated. Oh, my gosh. How- yeah. However, despite hard fighting, the new divisions were drawn and some Navajos had to be relocated. Ugh. Annie continued to work to improve the health services of the Navajo. She suggested that they create a health advisory board like some of the other tribes had. And this board would meet with the director of the Navajo Area Indian Health Services monthly and keep the tribal council updated. They'd lobby the Department of Health for sufficient funds, etc. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Annie, so they got this board approved, and Annie and the board then would lobby going back back and forth to D.C., um, and they were able to double the budget of the Indian Health Services the following year. So this board really was able wow. to advocate um, and get more money for health services on the reservation. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Then, in 1970, President Nixon addressed Congress and stated... Um, quote, only 2.4% of the Indian health services programs are run by Indians. We are presentably able to identify in this country only 30 physicians and fewer than 400 nurses of Indian descent. To meet the situation, we will expand our efforts to train Indians for health careers. So okay. I, I don't I don't approve of Nixon in a lot of ways, but I agree with, with that. We should probably have more, you know, Navajo doctors treating Sounds Navajo. Sounds reasonable yeah. if they... Yeah, if they actually follow through. Exactly. Yeah. So in response to this, Annie and the Tribal Council set forth to create an American Indian School of Medicine that they hoped would be funded by the oh. U.S. government to train um, doctors and nurses of Indian descent to become wow. you know, doctors. So Annie yeah. Winneka and Dr. Taylor McKenzie, who was the only Navajo doctor, at the time, they were appointed and charged with making this a reality. And so she really threw herself into this and worked on the project for five years, but it did not come to fruition. Wow. Oh, man. I was going to say I haven't heard of it. Yeah. But so essentially, yeah. the chairman at the time, Peter McDonald, he decided he wanted the school to be for Navajos only. 
And so oh, the other okay. tribes that were helping and like uh, kind of commiserating on this, they all lost interest. And then the government backed out. Yeah. So well, that's stupid then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. <laughs> Why? I, uh, yeah. We'll, like- we'll hear more about M- Peter McDonald later. Oh, uh, okay. Fine. <laughs> I'm just like, if we're going to hear more, I'm already just like, he doesn't sound like my cup of tea. No, I don't think he's going to be your cup. I don't think he's going to be your cup of tea. Great. So at this time, Annie was traveling to Washington so much that she was well known by all of the movers and shakers in D.C. She once arrived late to a hearing and the committee just reconvened completely just to hear her testimony. (gasps) Wow, that's good. Yeah. Um, while so while lobby, lobbying, each senator and representative, they were often labeled as like tough, receptive, or favorable to a particular motion. And so oh, Annie was very persuasive and was not afraid of a challenge. So she often took those like tough cards. That they, it literally had a card with, you know, who the mem- the senator or representative was and what their position was. So, like, she would take all those tough senators and re- representatives and go meet with them. Um, oh. And then when she was done meeting them, she would write the word tenderized on their card. <laughs> <laughs> and Oh, my God. Like, she beat them with the meat. Exactly. Exactly. Of her words. Yep. Of her mind and words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I love. Love that. <laughs> and so she... While she was in D.C., she always dressed in traditional clothing, wearing a long skirt, a velvet blouse, huge, you know, huge silver and turquoise necklace and a large belt. Um, And she would often go to dinner with colleagues and the waiters would be shocked when she could like order for herself because they didn't think she could speak English. So there was a lot of like misconceptions um, and she definitely stood out in a crowd. At that time, there wasn't as much travel, and she definitely stood out in a crowd. Yeah, that makes sense. But was not afraid to stand out in a crowd. And often when she was, like, on flights going back between um, the reservation and D.C., people would ask her about her outfit. And she, like, utilized that as a way to, like, discuss the Navajo people and, like, what they're like and things like that. So she always – she – did not get offended when people thought she looked strange. She tried to use that as like an education point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she probably got offended sometimes if people were assholes, but in general, I think if people were just curious and like, Oh, you're dressing strange. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, let me tell you about it. And they were just like ignorant. Yeah. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. In 1970, Six, a plane crash killed two of the tribal council members. Oh. Uh, and this put oh, a man. superstitious chill over the council. Uh, oh, so in Navajo tradition, bad things don't randomly happen, but are often a result of a taboo being broken. So it couldn't, it put a, you know, whole mood over the tribal council. Yeah. And then a bunch okay. of just series of very bad things continued to happen, which did not help. Oh my gosh. So next seven million pounds of grain just disappeared. 
Like likely what? stolen. Likely happen? someone stole seven million okay. pounds of grain. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> yeah. Stealthily. No. Um, there's no. Yeah. Wow. Then the tribal okay. council was notified that they were thirteen million dollars over their twenty-three million dollar budget. <gasps> Ooh, that's not good. And then finally, Chairman Peter McDonald, who I told you would be back. Uh oh. Um, he was to be investigated by a jan- grand jury for matters of election procedure and finances. Uh oh. So you can imagine, like he had manipulated the an election potentially i don't have the details but it was definitely something about like election integrity and maluse of funds which you know yeah okay i don't think it's a coincidence that that coincided with them being over budget by 13 million dollars and also that huge amounts of things seem to be stolen you know yeah like maybe it's not all just a string of bad luck, yes. but more like a bad one actor, really bad yeah. guy running things. Yep. Oh boy! Um, so when the grand jury assembled, they ended up being deadlocked, and so the judge had to throw out the case against Chairman Peter McDonald. <gasps> no. So this made Chairman McDonald feel pretty much above the law. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably. Um, <laughs> luckily, I will tell you that I think 14 years later, he did finally get um, caught for misuse of funds, things like that. But it took a long time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's just like infuriating. Yes, I agree. Too. I agree. <laughs> Um, and, and Mm. you're not the only one that feels infuriated. Annie and about 650 other Navajos protested McDonald and to to no avail, essentially, but they made their opinions known. That's good. Yeah. Uh, the 1970s were also, was he removed? No, he was not removed. Did he lose his position? Oh, wow. (laughs) He went back to it. I thought maybe he just, like, got a new nope. job and did the same thing nope. there, but... Oh, cool. Still, chair- <laughs> still chairman of the tribal council. Yep. Fun. So, in the 1970s... The 1970s were pretty much marked by, like, the women's liberation movement in the U.S., um, and this seeped into right. the Navajo reservation and culture as well. Oh, yeah. good. So Annie was appointed to a new women's commission to look into the status of women and talk with women about their issues on the reservation. Oh. And she was she was called to Tuba City to explain what she was doing to their tribal council. So they were like, come here, tell us why you're doing this and what you're doing. Um, and in response, okay. one of the men said, quote, women have no business talking about themselves. <laughs> we men, we take care of their problems. <laughs> oh my god! More like cause them. Uh, so, uh, so there's there's some there was disagreement. Not everybody was how on. How do the- you even like? <laughs> yeah, how do you even like convince that? Person? I like there's don't no know. changing no. that person's mind. I don't think there? so. Okay, <laughs> I think you talk to other people cool. and just hope. 
You just <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I hope somebody else has more sway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so she kind of did a circuit going around asking uh, women on the reservation, like, what their big problems were, how they could fix them, what were the things holding them back. Mm-hmm. Um, and she spoke... She yeah. spoke at the first Southwest Indian Women's Conference in October 1975, and she urged women to, quote, to offset the second class role, uh, or she said, she urged women, quote, to, to offset the second class role, Indian women must become more active in politics and become aware of the educational opportunities open to Native American women. Uh, she then was the keynote yeah. speaker at the first Navajo Women's Conference and urged women to seek work in the decision-making levels of administrative administration. Like, don't just get a job. Like, become the decision-maker at that job. You know? Yeah. And that it shouldn't be a competition with men, but rather that we should all be equal partners. Which I also agree with. Yeah. Then she just got bombarded by awards. Just award after award after award. Okay, good. I got scared for a second. <laughs> what? Because I was like bombarded by what? No, no, no. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. So she got a, okay. She, awards. She got good. You know, good. a whole slew of other awards, and she was even given an honorary doctorate from the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque. Nice. And it was about this time when she was planning to retire, but her constituents urged her to run like one last time. Wow. Uh, she did, but she lost by 13 votes to Jimmy Nelson, a well-known member of the Navajo Church. So, okay. you know, her time had come. Yeah, I'm sure. I think it had been, tw- she'd yeah, been on the committee like 27 years. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Wow, yeah. 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 And so, while it hurt to no longer be involved in those tribal sessions, um, it doesn't mean she was idle and wasn't campaigning or in the sphere. So, like, right. Annie was still on the Navajo Area yeah. Health Board, the Navajo Health Authority Board of Directors, and the Governing Board of the Navajo Health Systems Agency. So she was still, oh. like, <laughs> she was not idle. <laughs> How did she – so she – these are things she was doing yes, before, yes, too, also, I'm guessing. Yeah. Like, how do people find the time? Wow. I don't know. She was crazy lady. Um yeah. In 1979, Annie and George celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Although... That's a long marriage. It is a long marriage, especially, like... Yeah, it's an unusual marriage, too, right? Like... Right. They often yes. were living apart. She was, like, very... You know, in Washington, D.C., meeting with all these big wigs. Uh, traveling all the time and he was at home you know taking care of eight children and and the ranch so they had kind of it was a very interesting not traditional marriage but yeah it worked for them and they were both seemingly happy um yeah Yeah. so you know if everybody's happy then i'm happy I presume they were happy. They're at least like, I don't know, maybe they never even saw each other and that worked. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it seems like it seems like they cared about each other and this arrangement just like worked because George was very much like a homebody and 
had yeah. no interest in traveling or like being in the city. Um, and yeah, it, it was a match made in heaven. It was great. Great, great situation. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I'm going to move on. <laughs> match made in heaven. I don't know. It was, it seems fine. Um, uh huh. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> in 1980, she was invited by the Chinese government to China as a delegate, a, as part of a delegation of American Indians. Um, in the hopes of building an alliance between the two groups. Oh, I never knew that was like uh, something that was attempted or I don't know. I guess I just never knew that was a potential partnership. Well, since most anthropologists believe that Indians arrived to the Americas by migrating across the land bridge in the Bering Strait from Asia, these yeah. groups are considered like distant cousins. And right. so that was, yeah, part of, that was the reason why they were trying to bring them over and look for similarities oh. and like a partnership. Wow. Okay. Uh, so she found while there are many similar features between the Navajo and the Chinese, including physical features, cultural and dietary. And uh, so oh, okay. while, they were like going around and they saw this herd of sheep on their trip. Annie decided to give them a taste of Navajo culture. So she butchered the sheep, made a fire, roasted the, (laughs) roasted the ribs, and then taught uh, the Chinese group to do a type of like traditional tribal dance. And then she won a lot of, uh, a lot of praise. She was very popular. Wow. I love that. She can. She knows how to butcher a sheep. Like I kind of forgot that was a big part of her childhood. Yeah, yeah. She's like um, very big into yeah. sheep raising <laughs> and like you know butchered yeah. and roasted her own sheep at like age of eight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just can't imagine having. I'm just not confident enough to be in a different country, being on like a trip, and being like, I am going to show you how I slaughter this animal. Right. Like I, I love it yeah. so much, but I don't think I right. have the, um, wherewithal for that for so many reasons. Uh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't make either of you good or bad. It's just, you yeah. know, yeah, that's who she yeah, was. It's just, I just wanted to show them. Yeah. I just love that story. <laughs> yeah. They're like, well, this is not how we thought the day was going to go, but now I guess this is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, want to see me butcher a sheep? <laughs> okay. Like, what was that conversation? I don't know. I'm guessing she got permission for whoever owns that sheep. Yeah. Oh, I'm, if people had a good yeah. time, I would yeah. hope, you know. Otherwise, uh-oh. But I guess, like, one part of it was like, oh, this is how you guys butcher it? Well, I, we cut the head off first. And I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, I love oh, it. boy. I love it. Okay. So, so morbid. Yeah. So, so she had her nice. She had her trip in China, um, and I think she really enjoyed that. And then she came nice. back to the reservation, um, and at this time, it was time for another chairman to be elected. And she and Annie was oh. determined that Chairman McDonald should not be reappointed. Yes, good. So this guy Peterson Za, who he decided he was relatively young. Um, and he decided to run against McDonald, and he asked for Annie's support. 
And so he yeah. came over, he made her dinner, and Annie, like, drilled him for a while on, like, what he believes and what he was going to do and all this stuff. Um, and after the end of wow. the night, she agreed to help him get elected. She's like, all right, tell me what your schedule is. Wow. And so she just went with him <laughs> on his entire campaign. Oh, my gosh. And, That's And incredible. campaigned with him. So she was, like, up before him. She was 72 at the time. She was up before him. And she, like, ran him to near exhaustion during this campaign. (laughs) Um, She really wanted to beat Peter McDonald. So uh, Peterson Zah then won his election and immediately made this, like, nine-member committee to suggest sweeping reforms within the tribal council. Wow. Uh, And, of course, Annie was on that committee. And she also acted as yeah. his advisor and the health adva- ambassador for the Navajo Nation. Wow. So her retirement wow. is very busy. Yeah. It's almost like he was like the face of the campaign, but she was the actual, like, the mm-hmm. brains. <laughs> yeah. She, no, maybe not She totally, spent, like, the like, whole yeah. campaign trip, like, telling him, like, this is how you do it. Like, this is how you're going to get respect from the different council members. Wow. Like, this is how you talk to somebody. Like, this is how you address them. Like, a whole thing of, like, Dang. this is how it ha- it works. She's, like, gro- not grooming him, because that wow. has creepy connotations. Like, seasoning right. him. Seasoning him Just also sounds <laughs> After all the butchering talk, it's like... I don't know what word I'm trying to say. She, like, helped him. Let's just stick with help. Mentoring. Mentoring, Mentoring. yes, not seasoning. (laughs) (laughs) I'm delirious, guys. A little salt. (laughs) Paprika. (laughs) Okay, so in 1984, Chairman Peter Zah, he organized an entire day of events in honor of Annie's 74th birthday. Wow. And like he organized it, but like 40 people were involved in making this thing happen. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Arizona and New Mexico proclaimed it Annie Waneka Day and made a scholarship in her honor. Visitors came from far and wide, and school children were bussed across the Navajo reservation to get there. <gasps> wow. Um, Annie was hailed as our legendary mother, quote, our legendary mother, and was given the Navajo Medal of Aww. Honor, which is the highest award given by the Navajo Nation. Wow. And she said, I'm pretty sure she said that, like, that was the the award that she was, like, most proud of. Oh, yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, it yeah. makes sense. Um, yeah. So they had a banquet that evening, and the former IHS director and former um, special assistant to President Gerald Ford gave the keynote about Annie. And he said... Oh, my gosh. Dr. Winneka has never solicited my assistance she has demanded it she's never lost sight of the cycles of the moon (laughs) but she's learned the cycles of the budget in congress she's remained a shepherdess but her flock is the people of the navajo nation strong men look to this shepherdess they call her mother rough kids actually look at her with respect chairman chiefs presidents are all included in her flock she has put love into politics (laughs) it's a lot but i like it it's such a like it's like really nice but also very weird 
Yeah. She she's very demanding. Like seeing all these people. She's very demanding. Yeah, are part of her flock. I'm like, does this guy like her or not? Like <laughs> No, yeah. I like yeah. that. It's funny. Uh so around you know, she's 74, so Annie and George began feeling their age, starting to forget things, you know. Things like that. Wow. Um But Annie was invited one last time to Washington, DC to receive a special Indian Achievement Award. And while at the ceremony, she was especially sharp and alert, like this was her turf, and she like remembered everybody. Um, However, shortly after returning home, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and she and George moved into a nursing home in 1993. Aww. Uh, George died in 1994, shortly after moving to the nursing home, and in 1997, Annie was diagnosed with leukemia and died a month later on November 10th. (gasps) Whoa. Wow. That's fast. Uh, the Navajo Nation government shut down for an entire day when she died. Aww. And Annie was wow. buried in a private ceremony by her family on the Tanner Springs Ranch. Aww. And so I guess where they buried her, it's like a a shallow grave sounds bad, but like it, there's a divot. And like because of that, all the water rushes there. And so the grass is really green, so all the sheep also, like, like to forage right there, which is kind of Oh, wow. Lovely. That's really yeah. neat. Yeah. So all in all, Annie was a Navajo tribal leader and public health activist who helped stem the spread of tuberculosis on the Navajo reservation. She helped improve health conditions through a diversity, so like a diverse array of tactics such as politics um, baby contests, radio shows, DJing, TV specials, and meeting extensively wow. with all the members of her community. So that's the story yeah. of Annie Dodge Winneka. Wow, she really did so much. I know. It's like she just she must have used all her time wisely. Yeah. You know? She got a lot done. It's amazing. Wow, amazing. Yeah. I love yeah. her. She's, She's great. Even with the pen knife thing, I'll forgive the pen yeah, knife. Yeah, she did most, you know, maybe mostly, he deserved mostly it. Good. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah. I don't I don't advocate for violence, but mostly no. she was not that way. Just one one incident right. that's not yeah. great, but you know, we all have Who maybe knows? not equivalent, but we all have well, not shining no. moments. <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> oh my All gosh. Right. Oh, that's great. I yeah. love it. Less trauma. Yes. Least. A little bit. <laughs> Maybe political drama. I mean, yeah, it doesn't sound as. Her, her, yeah. There's still a lot, of dra- there's a lot of trauma. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But. We don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's, women who work, let's go to. Lady yeah, town. yeah. Oh, yeah, right. It's a short one. I got a short one. Work, 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 work. So, this is our women who work section where we give a shout out to badass ladies making history today. Um, and this episode, my shout out goes to Dr. Kelsey Gill who is a postdoc in the Department of Zoology at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, (laughs) 
Um, so she led us. I don't know why I said it like that. I loved that. it. Uh, she led a study investigating how lunge feeding whales can take in a lot of water when feeding without drowning, which is something I'd never even thought of. So, um, you probably like kind of know this, but I had never really thought about it. Um, there are a lot of whales, like humpback whales and blue whales, uh, the whales that typically have like baleen, you know, like those long strand kind of teeth where they filter. Yeah. And they feed by basically there, if there's like a whole school of fish or shrimp or something, they open their mouth really wide and they just lunge toward this big group of food. Sucking in all the food and water and everything in this huge area. Okay. (laughs) So they were like, how do they not, like, choke on all that water and die? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like the question. Yeah. Which I just like, oh, yeah, I never thought about that. Because, like, they feed by basically getting a mouthful of water and food, and then they filter the water out through their baleen, keeping all the food in their mouth, okay? And so, to investigate this, um, Dr. Kelsey Gill and her uh, collaborators dissected fin whales that were caught for food in Iceland. Um, So, like, they're part of just normal... So... Typically, to study whale anatomy, you uh, researchers have to dissect whales that, like, wash up on the yeah. shore. But that can be really complicated because they can wash back out or, like, be diseased or something. Or they've you know, been there, you know. too, so, like, a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she worked with, like, uh, a whaling company, basically, and was allowed to, like, dissect parts of the whale that they don't use for Mm -hmm. meat usually so she was looking at their basically the whale like esophagus or equivalent you know structure in whales and their mouths and dissecting that um they surveyed 19 whales and thoroughly dissected five fin whales and just like that's a big dissection yeah you know (laughs) i just like do they use a machete like that's a big dissection. I right? can't imagine. Yeah, you, you um, have to get like a crane to move it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of work. It doesn't sound like a huge sample size, but it's a lot of work, you know. Um, and they found that in the whale's throats, they had what they describe as an entirely new kind of structure, a muscular fatty structure which they call the oral plug. <laughs> just Don't funny. love that. Like, just imagine, like, a bathtub plug. <laughs> um, but it basically, like, it blocks off the entire whale esophagus when, they're, when they do this lunge mm. to get their food. And then once they close their mouths again to let – or once they've let the water out, basically, it'll open back up and they can actually swallow the food. Fu- the food once all the water is out. Um, so it's not like overly complicated necessarily. You know, we have a similar kind of like feeding strategy, uh-huh. but we don't inhale tons of water when we eat. Well, speak you know? for yourself. So we don't have it. 
<laughs> exact same kind of plug. I mean, I've been eating a lot of soup, so yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's important because if they swallow all this too much water, it could go into their yeah. lungs, basically, and that's how they could drown. Oh, my, I don't know what's happening. Um, uh Hopefully some of that got caught Uh-oh. Um, but, yeah, so... Yeah, so basically this oral work plug with what we got. <laughs> stops their uh stops the whales from yeah. inhaling water, which it's hard to ma- it's crazy to think that a whale could drown. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, yeah. it seems like they shouldn't um, that shouldn't. So yeah, happen. it's pretty like seems like a simple study, but it's actually really hard to do these studies and like she was saying in um, the article I read, you know, you can't, like, really study their feeding behavior in the wild because it's like you need to develop a camera that they could swallow that wouldn't, like, hurt them, you know, <laughs> like a biodegradable camera. We don't, we're yeah. not all Pinocchio. We can't just go in the whale and be spit back out, you know, all safe. So anyway, yeah, I thought it was a cool Guess how much fin whales weigh? Um, a thousand tons. I don't know. I'm bad at measurements like that. I don't know how much. Fifty any- tons. A hundred thousand pounds. <gasps> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how whalers do what they do. You know what I mean? Like, how do you catch a yeah. freaking whale? Like, <laughs> I don't know. No, I mean, I mean, it's impressive that we, I mean, in some ways it's impressive we know much about yeah. the, like, anatomy of these right. creatures. But I always find it fascinating when there is still so much left to learn. But it makes sense. Like, yeah. these things are huge and they're hard to find. And we also, there's not that many, so we don't want to be yeah. and removing more than we need to. Yeah, and dissections have to be so careful, too. Um, yes. And usually done like when something hasn't been dead for very long. And that can be really difficult yeah. with something like a whale, you know? And they're so big. I just don't even, I can't even imagine what these dissections look like. Like a lot of blood, no. a lot, like pretty gruesome, <laughs> probably. So, yeah. Yeah, I just think of those like whale videos where it's like a bloated whale carcass that ex- carcass Ugh. that explodes. Oh my gosh! But you got to dissect them before that. Yeah, it's too late then. <laughs> and as a scientist studying whales, it has to be sustainable. It's not like fruit flies. You yes, can dis- you can't dissect a hundred. It has to be like yeah. So anyway, yeah, you're really weighing the pros and cons of like learning this. And usually, I think they're you know they're not. <laughs> I don't think you whale scientists are, you know, they are doing what they can to try to save whales, get this information from whales that are either already dead or going to be harvested by other industries. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you kind of have to work with what you can get. Yeah. To try to learn this information. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that was my cool. shout out love for the week. Nice and <laughs> silly. Well, not silly, but just like a cool, like weird kind of discovery, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I liked it. That's awesome. Um, I'm glad that 
I was worried you were going to talk about Twitter. And I'm glad oh, you don't. No, no. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you everybody for listening. We're doing now a, a monthly schedule. So next month we'll have a new episode of a new lady. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for listening and supporting us. And I learned recently <gasps> that Spotify, you can now um, rate podcasts. Oh. So we're on there. So if you want to, it's much easier because it, you just go and you can just click on the number of stars. Oh, cool. It's nice. not like the whole login right thing for apple yeah. which is a huge hassle um so if you're on spotify or you listen to us on spotify just you know give us a rating yeah, we appreciate it, it helps people find it's us super easy yeah yes exactly um and thank you to artichoke for our awesome theme music and caitlin friesen for our awesome art and as always go go stimulate, stimulate yourself. yourself 2022 <laughs> Um, (laughs) trying to stay pumped yeah (laughs) bye bye